Hello and thanks for watching. My name is Michael Brock. I'm the senior pastor here at Third Presbyterian Church. Third Pres has been a part of the downtown Birmingham community since 1884, and we still today hold to the historic, classic Christian faith. We're glad you've been watching, but we would love to have you join us one Sunday in person. Please see our website for our Sunday morning service times, and I hope to meet you soon. Amen. Please remain standing for the reading of God's Word from Romans chapter 1. And while you're turning, if you have your Bibles, to Romans chapter 1, the, the children ages 3 to 8 are free to be dismissed for the children's Bible lesson. Romans chapter 1 in your pew Bible, it's page number 939. Be looking at verses 18 through 25 as we continue this sermon series through the book of Romans. This is sermon number five, and we're still in chapter one. So uh, I promised you I wouldn't take as long as Martin Lloyd-Jones or John Piper working through this, but, uh, but I didn't know I'd be taking at least six sermons in chapter one. So we'll just see how it goes. Romans chapter one, beginning in verse 18. Hear the word of the Lord. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. For what can be known about God is plain to them because God has shown it to them for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world in the things that have been made. So. They are without excuse. For although they knew God, they did not honor Him as God or give thanks to Him, but they became futile in their thinking, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools, and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. Amen. This is God's word. Thanks be to God. Lord, please open our eyes now that we might behold wonderful things from this, your word. Through Jesus, we pray. Amen. You may be seated. We're looking at the righteousness of God these days. Verse 16 and 17, which we've looked at already, are really the theme of the book of Romans. It talks about the righteousness of God in salvation, in the gospel, in the good news that Jesus is Lord. That is the gospel. Jesus died for our sins. That is the gospel. And this gospel is a powerful thing. It's a beautiful thing. And we learn from verses 18 and following that it is very much a needed thing. And that's what this section that uh, we're looking at now is about. It's about the righteousness of God and His wrath. So verses 16 and 17, again, about, uh, are about the righteousness of God in the gospel. This section about the righteousness of God in His wrath. Last week, we looked at the nature of God's wrath. And we looked also at the objects of God's wrath. Today, I want to focus on the reason for God's wrath 
And the answer is very simple. The suppression of truth. God's wrath is provoked by the suppression of truth, which is what we see in verse 18. For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. God hates the suppression of truth. And this idea here of suppression is not a passive thing, but it is an active working diligently to to keep it down, to hold it back, to, to keep it quiet in a sense. You can think about the idea maybe of a little boy who's put to bed at night. He's got a new puppy. And so he goes to bed at night and he, he secretly uh, sneaks in his puppy into the bedroom with him. And, of course, they're having a grand old time in there. Mom and Dad hear the commotion and, and you know, holler out, you know, what's going on in there? By the time we get in there, I, I, I'm, you know, I want it to be quiet. And so he, in a panic, gets his puppy and, and, and puts the puppy in his toy chest. And then he sits on top of the chest right before mom and dad walk in. And so they walk in and he's supposed to be in bed. They know something's up, but they don't know exactly what it is as he's sitting there on his toy chest. But, but of course, within a few moments, they hear the puppy, the puppy whimpering. Or if it's big enough, they see it sort of banging around in there or hear it banging around. And maybe because the boy's a little guy, it, it's, it's almost knocking him off the top of the toy chest as the puppy tries to get out. And so they obviously then learn what's going on. That's, that's the kind of thing that man does with the suppression of truth. And then notice in verse 20, for his invisible attributes, namely his eternal power and divine nature, have been clearly perceived ever since the creation of the world and the things that have been made. So they are without excuse. There are a couple of things that are like that puppy in the toy chest. One is, of course, creation, which is noted here in verse 20. Uh, Anton, I think, whether he intended it or not, it fit perfectly the call to worship. The 148th Psalm, I think it was, with, with this idea. In the, in the 19th Psalm, we read the following in verses 1 and 2 of Psalm 19. The heavens declare the glory of God, and the sky above proclaims His handiwork. Day to day pours out speech, and night to night reveals knowledge, and so forth and so on it goes. Creation is one of those things that shouts the truth of God. And then there's another, though, and that would be our conscience. It's been said that, that internally we are like radios tuned in to a God consciousness. And we have that sort of just playing in the background of our lives all the time. You know, some of you probably just leave the TV on all the time. It's just sort of background noise and you maybe get used to it and, and you don't even realize it anymore. But uh, that's, that's sort of the idea here. We all have that. It's this God consciousness is, con- is, is a part of us as human beings, as, as creatures, as, as the creation of God. So these are the couple of ways that, that God's power is made known through creation and through conscience. One book I was reading this week put it this way about the, our, our, our God consciousness. Run to the farthest corner of creation. 
Lock yourself into the tightest closet and plug up your ears and the mighty testimony to the Creator and His judgment will well up out of your very being. That's the truth. And God hates our efforts to suppress the truth. And because of the suppression of truth, the wrath of God comes. Now the second question I want to look at this morning is how does man suppress the truth? So not only was I looking at there, first of all, the, the reason for God's wrath but, wrath, but how does man suppress the truth? Answer, by sin. We suppress the truth of God by sin. Now you might think, well, it's, it's logical argument or just rational thinking that, that, we, that we come to um, uh, a hatred of God and a rejection of God. But the Bible says here that God's truth is suppressed by sin, specifically unrighteousness, which is what you see again, verse 18, that it's, it says, uh, who, by their unrighteousness suppress the truth. Or the NIV, the way the NIV puts it is, who suppress the truth by their wickedness. And then at the beginning of verse 18, it says, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness. What are those two things? Ungodliness is sin against God, being just irreverent, ignoring God. Unrighteousness is sin toward man, not just being uh, irreverent or irreligious or ignoring God, but being immoral in the way that especially as we relate to others. And what this is telling us here. As far as we suppress the truth by sin, this immorality, this sin in our, our lives, it blinds us to the truth. I remember he hearing um, Pastor Tim Keller, who's now with the Lord, say uh, years ago that he would, uh, in conversation with, with college students, um, they, they would show up at his church, um, I guess whether they were from his church or coming back on a weekend or Christmas break or whether they were students that he met in New York City. And he would start talking to them about the Lord and they were talking about how they didn't believe in God and they were rejecting the Bible and things of that nature. So he would try to spend a lot of time trying to persuade them of the truth of God and, and use rational arguments, logical thinking and so forth. And it, it just it never seemed to, to be fruitful until he finally realized what was going on in their personal lives. And then he started asking the question, who are you sleeping with? Because that changes everything. Sin blinds our eyes to the truth. Sin makes us deaf to the truth. Unrighteousness. It, 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 it totally quenches the Spirit of God. You know, this section, yes, this section that we're looking at is about um, sinful man um, versus saved man. It's not about saved man uh, as much. I mean, there, but there's still something here for Christians to learn because it, it is our sin. God still hates the suppression of truth. Our sin still quenches the Holy Spirit. Our, your immorality as a Christian may not keep you out of heaven, but it keeps us from living fully to the glory of God. It keeps us from experiencing all the blessings that come from the Lord. And so it's not just for people out there somewhere. No, it's for us. So we think about how sin suppresses truth. And God hates the suppression of truth. Third, 
What are the results? What are the results of a suppressing truth through unrighteousness? The answer is very simple. More unrighteousness, more sin, more suppression of the truth. God's hatred of sin and His wrath is revealed in the multiplication of sin. The wrath of, of God on, on ungodliness and wickedness is more ungodliness, more wickedness. See what it says in verse 24? Therefore God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator. It says God gave them up. And Lord willing, next week and following, we'll see that phrase again. To give them up is, to, is for God to remove His hand of restraint. In other words, God, God's wrath comes on those who hate God and His ways by letting them commit more sin and more sin. And the more sin that's committed, the more miserable people become. And it's just this you know, downhill snowball sort of effect. It's, it's a, in a sense, the creation of a hell on earth, in a sense. The wrath of God on ungodliness and wickedness is more ungodliness and more wickedness. It's, it's really sort of as if, as if we, we people in our sin are, are saying to God, I'll live my life the way I want to live it. Leave me alone. I'll do it my way. And God says, okay, you asked for it. And sin then multiplies on the earth. Think about, in particular, think about the sin of homosexuality. You know, some people have said that um, the, the saying that you sometimes hear, will hear people say is, um, if our nation doesn't repent of this sin, God's wrath is going to come. Have you ever thought that maybe homosexuality is the wrath of God? The transgenderism, lunacy that's going on in the world today is the wrath of God being poured out upon us. Because the wrath of God on ungodliness and wickedness is more ungodliness and more wickedness, more chaos, more confusion, more pain and suffering. And it's not just behaviors. But think also just about our thinking. Verse 21 says, They became futile in their thinking. Their foolish hearts were darkened. So it's not just our moral judgments that were darkened, but also our intellectual and reasoning powers suffer through sin. I mean, as a society today, we can't even answer the question, what is a woman? <laughs> and, and, we, uh, and, or, and we believe that... Um, a man could somehow be in a man, a woman in a man's body, or vice versa. A child can be a cat, and and in your school you got you got to put up a, you know, a litter box sort of thing in your classroom. That I saw a video of this this lady in in England somewhere who was bounding around her yard like a horse because she thinks she's a horse. That's what sin does. It's it's ungodliness and wickedness multiplied. It, that's, that's the wrath of God. 
provoked by the suppression of truth, suppressed, the truth is suppressed by our sin, and then this suppression, the sin is multiplied on the earth. Now, there's one thing to realize as we think about the suppression of truth. And that is, in order for us to effectively suppress the truth, we have to lie about God. Which is, of course, what the devil did in the Garden of Eden. Satan, the great suppressor of truth, the, the li- a liar and the father of lies. His first work was to lie about God. Did God really say to create doubts in, in the mind of Eve? Did God really say that? You're you're not going to die, surely. In other words, plant seeds of doubt about God. God's not trustworthy. Listen, Eve, he doesn't really know what he's talking about. And that's, that's the way it works when we suppress truth. We have to create doubts in our own minds about God. And again, all this could lead to a pointing of fingers, you know, to people that are out there somewhere. But... But that's not the way, you don't need to go away just, just thinking about that. Because we need to think about it ourselves. We need, to, we need to think about the lies we believe. And I want to mention four lies that we believe, or four, four things about the lies we believe. Number one, the lies that we believe, they're just constant. I mean, they are everywhere, all the time. They're always pouring in on top of us. The lies themselves are nothing new. But what is new is having them constantly shoved down our throats. And I say shoved down our throats really because of social media. It's like we're opening our mouth and saying, feed me, throw them down my throats, my, my throat. We, we pursue, p- pursue these things ourselves. Social media, whether it's you know, Instagram or Facebook or Twitter or, or shows um, or news or whatever it is, I mean, Lies are just constant. And, and it, you know, certainly sometimes they're obvious lies, like the transgenderism movement, for example. But oftentimes they're just the less obvious lies, just the very subtle lies that sink into our thinking. Around, around my home, my, my family knows that one of my pet peeves is, um, is, is HGTV. Because on HGTV, what's, what you're being, how you're being lied to is you're being told that if you just have this farmhouse painted white with shiplap, then all your problems will be gone. You'll have everything. You'll be fulfilled. It'll be wonderful. And just, just that over and over and over again, it drives me crazy. So it's, it's a very subtle lie about life. It's just not true. And so these lies, they're just constant. A second thing about the lies is they usually contain a kernel of truth. Think about Moses. What we read about Moses in, in Hebrew chapter, Hebrews chapter 11 is that he chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. You know what it doesn't say there? It doesn't say that sin is not pleasurable because sin is pleasurable for a brief moment in time. That's the lie, is that it's pleasurable, unending, that it's, that it's a, a wonderful experience forever. No, no, it's, again, Moses chose to endure ill treatment with the people of God rather than to enjoy the passing pleasures of sin. 
It's brief. It's short-lived. But there is a kernel of truth in the lies that we believe. That is that it is pleasurable. And yeah, it is for a minute. Third thing about lies we believe. Lies we believe make God predictable. Make Him very predictable. You know, the Bible's view about reality is actually very complex. World thinking, worldly thinking, on the other hand, is, is very simple. Where God is totally understandable. Think about Job's friends. That's probably the great example in the Bible of God being just so understandable and, and, and predictable. You know, Job's friends show up and, they, and they, they have the attitude, bad things happen to bad people, good things happen to good people. So Job, buddy, just confess what you did wrong and we'll be able to move on. That's not the way God works. His ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. We can't put Him in a box. Think about the books in the Bible, in Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. I'm, I'm taking this little class right now. And one of the, the things that, I was, that was part of the class this last week was examining the differences between Proverbs and Ecclesiastes. And in the book of Proverbs, what you get is a lot of cause and effect, sort of predictability, order to things. And then you flip the page and you get to Ecclesiastes and what do you find? It just doesn't make sense. It doesn't work out the way you thought it was going to work out. That which is crooked cannot be made straight. About this sort of truth about God being unpredictable and someone we can't put in a box. G.K. Chesterton in his book Orthodoxy said this, The real trouble with this world of ours is not that it is an unreasonable world, or even that it is a reasonable one. The commonest kind of trouble is that it is nearly reasonable, but not quite. That's the world in which we live. That God is in charge of. That God is, is ordaining what all happens in this world. It's nearly reasonable, but not quite. Lies make God predictable. And then fourth and finally, lies that we believe make God a means to an end. They make God a means to an end. In other words, what lies do is they tell us that all you really need is a little assistance, just a little helping hand. Which is one of the reasons why idolatry was so popular in biblical times. You know, you know, we we think about that and we think, that's just so weird. How could people be attracted to this carved image that you made? You made it with your own hand. You know that that's not a God. It's a piece of wood or it's a stone or whatever that you've carved. How could you sort of worship that thing? But this idolatry, it was so popular because an idol was a means to an end. It, 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 you... It was a God who helped you get what you want, whether it was fertility or rain for your crops or victory in war or political power, which went hand in hand with victory in war, or whatever it was. Kevin DeYoung wrote an article a number of years ago about this idolatry, why, it was, why it's so attractive. And he, he draws on Doug Stewart's commentary on the book of Exodus. And a couple things that I just want to point out from that. 
he, he notes there, whether it's DeYoung or Stewart, I'm not sure who, but he notes that what, people, what would happen there is people would, would make these carvings out of wood or stone or whatever. Um, that, so they'd make an idol out of that and the God would come into it and, and in a sense like, you know, live in it, possess it like a demon possession sort of idea. And so that's why um, it was, it's not so far-fetched that you, you think, well, these people are just idiots. What are they doing? No, they, they, they believe that it would be inhabited by this God of some sort. And, of course, then it became very easy to interact with that God. It was very convenient. It was very easy. It didn't really require anything from you other than just sort of a periodic offering or, you know, pinching of incense or lighting some candles or, uh, you know, saying your mantra a few times and then you're on your way. It, your, your life didn't have to center around it. It didn't have to change because of it. And then the last thing about this is th- this idolatry. It was, it was very selfish because it wasn't to acknowledge the greatness of the God. It was for you. You make an offering, you get, you get gifts. You, you, make, you get blessings. That's what you and I still have a great tendency to do with God is He becomes for us a means to an end. We're in a sense using Him to get what we want. He's just like a vending machine for many of us. A few years ago, I may have told this story before, I can't remember, but my boys were, I think, in middle school, and we had an overnight presbytery meeting for, for the church. And so we were going from the presbytery meeting, which was, in uh, Pensacola or Tallahassee or somewhere like that. No, Pen- Panama City, that's where it was. And, um, <coughs> and so I picked my boys with, it, with me because we were going to go to a Braves spring training game after, after we finished the presbytery meeting. And so, we, um, so while I was in my meetings, the boys were running around causing trouble and stuff, and like middle school boys do. And one of the things they were doing was they, um, they had learned somewhere that... Uh, when you go up to a Coke machine or a Pepsi machine or whatever, you know, there was some sort of sequence. Sequence, if you press this button, you know, the big button, and then the lower left button, and then the upper right button, and then back, and then you press the big button again, then boom, out would pop a, a Coke or a Pepsi or whatever it was you were trying to get. And, of course, they were roaming around, you know, the Laguna Beach Christian Retreat Center trying to, you know, hit all the, all the machines they could. And... Um, I don't think they were ever really successful um, in, in, in their efforts. But, you know, they, if, it was this the, if you press the right buttons, you get the prize. That was the idea. And that's the way we treat God as well. If, we, if I'll press the right buttons, then I'll get the prize. I'll get what I want. And what it says here in verse 23 is extremely revealing about us. We exchange the glory of the immortal God... For images resembling mortal man, birds, animals, creeping things. When we suppress the truth, and uh, it, it doesn't make us atheists. It actually makes us more religious. And, and what it does is, is it reveals what it is that we really worship. Again, God is just a vending machine. And what we're worshiping is what He gives us. What we want, the ultimate end, is what is what's going to come out of the machine, what's going to come from God. That's what we really want. We just have to press the right buttons to get God to give it to us. And, and what, you know, if you really, if you want to find out what your gods are, 
look at what you're most worried about. Look at what you're praying for. Look at what, look at what you're most afraid of. I mean, those, those things are telling. They make us think. Look at what you do in, in your solitude. You know, when, when you don't have anything else going on, anything else to think about, where does your mind go? Uh, oftentimes, working through, wrestling through those questions will make you see what is it that I really want? What, what, is, what is my ultimate end? What is, what is my God? So think through these sorts of things. Think about them. Confess it as sin. Repent of it. Pray for God's help. And then just a quick final thought here. Verse 24. Therefore God gave them up in the lust of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshipped and served the creature rather than the Creator who is blessed forever. Amen. You know, Paul is very clear here to, to praise God at the end of this little section. The way to stop suppressing truth is to praise God as God, to worship Him as God. And I was very encouraged uh, just seeing a, a video here recently. Uh, perhaps, I'm sure somebody else has seen it here. just saw it the last day or two, I guess. But uh, it's a video of a, of a Christian man in New York City. And he's... Um, He's a, basically a trash collector, but he doesn't, he's not, he doesn't work for the city as a, as a track, trash collector. He's, he's, a, he's a dumpster diver, um, but he's walking around the city and, you know, on, the in, on street corners where there's just a trash can. He's going through the trash can and he's collecting cans, uh, bottles, you know, jars, things like that, and then, and then sells them to be able to make some money. And... Um, the interviewer asks him about his life. He's from the New York area. And he had, uh, as he says, a very nice life. He was married. He had three children. Everything was going well. And then he got mixed up in, uh, in drugs and human smuggling and um, spent 10 years in prison. And while he was in prison, uh, the way he said it was three women from the Bronx came to preach. And they preached the gospel to him. And the way he said it uh, was, I thought they were telling the truth. I, and he, he said to himself, I agree. I'll, I'll accept that. And he became a changed man. And now, I mean, you, you got to see this video. I need to put it in my Friday email, a link to it or whatever. I think it was on TikTok or something like that. I don't have a TikTok account, but it was, anyway, you know, you know how you find stuff. And, you know, now this guy, he's the most humble joyful dumpster diver in America. <laughs> and where he could be angry, he could be bitter, he doesn't, he doesn't suppress the truth what's happened in his life with, with lies or blame other people. He praises God for His goodness. He praises God for His grace. That's the way to stop suppressing truth. Believe the Lord. Accept His truth. Praise Him. Confess our sins, our, our idols, the things we really want God to give us. That's the way to stop suppressing truth. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, as we sing in just a few moments 
about how Jesus is a friend of sinners, we all would admit that there are things to which we are attracted. There are things we want. There are ways that on a daily basis we attempt to use you as a means to an end. But the good news is that the wrath of God has fallen on the Lord Jesus. And so it's not your frown that is set on us, upon us any longer, but it is your smile. You are indeed, because of the work of Christ, a friend of sinners. And we're so thankful for that. But we also remember that there is a world, and no doubt there would be people even in here, nice folks who are still suppressing the truth. Lord, help us to be agents of change, witnesses to the gospel, even as we rest in and appreciate anew today the grace that is ours through Christ.